The following views and opinions expressed on Joy Has Questions podcast are not to be confused and or affiliated with any other corporations, companies, businesses, LLCs, and any other acronym that you can possibly think of. Basically, these are my own opinions on my own platform. And now everybody, let's get on with the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions, dropping some new fire for you all to listen to for the week. Starting with, you guessed it, you better know. This week, I am super pleased to salute the hometown hero, Robert H. Lawrence, who is the first African-American astronaut in the U.S. and one of the baddest cues to ever walk the face of the earth. Born October 2nd, 1935, he graduated from Inglewood High School at 16. I couldn't even find my way back from Pizza Hut at 16 for off-campus lunch, let alone trying to figure out what the hell I needed to do to get out of high school by then. He was in the top 10th percentile of his class, y'all. Like, straight intellectual educational gangster. Robert was out here snatching all the medals, collecting all the coins with ease, graduating from Bradley University at 20. So at 20, I was just figuring out the importance of 1,700 thread account sheets. Like, every step of the way, he was leading the curve, and I clearly didn't know what was going on. He was catching a wave way before any of us. Beginning his professional career, Robert joined the Air Force, where he served as a U.S. Air Force pilot after completing flight training at Malden Air Force Base in Missouri. By the time he was 25, he completed an Air Force assignment as an instructor pilot in the T-33 training aircraft for the German Air Force. In 1965, then age 30, Lawrence earned a Ph.D. in physical chemistry from Ohio State University. His doctoral thesis was, wait for it so we all can be confused together. The mechanism of the trithum beta ray included exchange reaction of deuterium with methane and ethane in the gas phase what the entire fuck is this i'm sorry there's no other way for me to put that like huh i had to sound that out even to pronounce that so i'm not even going to embarrass myself and trying to guess what the whole miss frizzle hell that even means but whatever he did it got him to salute to you black man At 32, he successfully completed the U.S. Air Force Test Pilot School at Edwards, California. And then the same month, he was selected by the USAF as an astronaut in the Air Force Manned Orbital Laboratory, a.k.a. the MOL program, thus becoming the country's first black astronaut. Of course, it's always some bullshit. Sadly, before he could complete training, Lawrence was killed when the student pilot he was training made a costly mistake, causing them both to hit the ground in such an impact that when the emergency seat deployed, Robert was killed instantly. Had this black king lived, not only would he have been the first African-American in space, but being a part of the USAF MOL transfer, he would have been a part of the last astronaut team to be selected during the Apollo era in the 60s. So although Robert was so suddenly taken, his life serves as a testament to what you can accomplish when you allow no one to rearrange your stars. Hopefully me sharing this will inspire someone to fuck the bullshit and go for their dream because Papa Robert surely went for his. Hey everybody, it's your girl Joy has questions. And no way she codes. 
Hello. Yes, and it's time again for our geeked up section. So what's going on this week, girl? Let's just jump right into it. Okay, so something I really want to highlight is kind of the support that the black community has had within nerdiness. So uh, previously, one of the biggest conferences in black nerddom that just passed was BlurredCon. Um, If you don't know what being a blurred is, look it up. It's just being black and being a nerd in one. So the conference kind of celebrates all different types of blurs that may exist, whether you're whether you're into cosplaying, you're into coding, you're into technology, you're just into anime, gaming, whatever you would like. Um, so a lot of people came out for that. A lot of great traction there. It looked like an awesome event. Definitely check them out on Instagram for their dates in the future. Um, I think it's something that many people would love to fly out to. It's going to be bomb. Okay. Uh, but then moving on to something that is actually coming up. In our local community in Chicago, we are having our own version of BlurredCon, uh, but ours is called WakandaCon. Wakanda yes. forever. Um, I went last year. It was fucking sick. I exactly. loved it. So it was a lot of fun. WakandaCon is uh, kind of the same thing, same idea of having a great space for our black people to come and kind of nerd out in the way that they feel comfortable and realize that they have a space for themselves. Um, so there will be some tech stuff there. I will be there having my own codeathon. Shameless plug. Please Woo! come through. The dates are July 26th to the 28th, and um, the conference is going to be super dope. We're going to have a lot of great speakers and panelists, um, as well as different competitions, whether it's gaming, coding, or cosplaying. So if you fit into any of those, bring your butt, okay? Let me also just say this, completely nothing to add of a wholesome nature, but ladies, don't get confused, because there'll be some zaddies there. I was like... So is this what happens? Like when Urkel turns into Stefan? Like what is happening? Okay, it's bringing out black people of all shapes, sizes, minds, thoughts. Um, I love how it shows though how you don't have to look a specific way in order to be a nerd. And I think that you see me, I'm a bad bitch. No, (laughs) (laughs) like times two, get it? No, but no, and I, I always say like you are fucking gorgeous and then it's like you start talking about you know r2d2 i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> hey i was just talking to you about are we going to this sale is art or not like, <laughs> but that's what i'm saying like having that duality or being able to tap into that without you know feeling like you have to look a certain way i i did even want to ask you this really quickly um why can't you just be a nerd you know and and i I have my own assumptions about that, why there now needs to be a distinction for blurs or for gossip or for any black Twitter. Like we can go on and on and on, but I definitely want to hear like your take on it. I mean, I think we need to be blurred a sense of having community. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, if you hang out, no offense to you white people. I don't know if you're listening, but hey, what up? I don't, yeah. Um, So when it comes to, you know, especially America, it's like white people own everything. Um, whether it's the music, the clothes, even though our community may have made something, our community has like, you know, or, they or have the, the equity act- in it. Yes, you know. So it's like the white people kind of own everything, and I feel like blurred or boss up or black Twitter is just our way of like we're in this space, and this is you know our community too, and this is how we're contributing. It's like our bl- our bat signal, if you will, because yeah. it's. I've been on the pages that you know are I guess quote unquote like more general or majority focused and it never has anything that pulls us in you know so it's kind of just like well you all ignore us or don't 
you know, see the importance of certain nuances that, like you said, are based on our community. So we're going to make and this I, blurred I just, page. I just be seeing cool things like blurred con, especially when it comes to cosplaying. Like it's like some characters like that are mainstream that everybody knows. Some characters that not everybody knows. So like, um, could I come as wearing the world of Carmen San Diego? Yeah. <gasps> Stop. I have a people. People dress up as people dress up as all types of things. So, like I said, mainstream characters. You'll see like Sailor Moon. Everybody knows Sailor Moon. People like you know do Pokemon. Someone actually, I know her name on Instagram. It's Tatted Poodle. She was Miles Morales <gasps> at BlurredCon. I think she did a bomb job. You can't see her face at all, but oh, she looks so good. I love but then that. there was other Spider-Mans there too. You know, so it's like people dress up as white characters, black characters, Asian characters. I'm coming up. Put their own spin 07. on them. Okay, put their own spin on them. Um, another one, she actually went to my alma mater, Florida State University. Uh, hey. Shameless plug again. Um, <laughs> her name on Instagram is Hey Jayish, and she's really big um, with cosplaying. And she like what I know she does a lot, and I feel like a lot of people do this a lot. She'll combine two characters and kind of remix them, and make it her own. And she's so dope. Um, you like froze her? Her froze always juicy, like you say. Um, I need to yeah. So I'm yeah, so it's just this. like you know. Blurred is just a way for those for people like them to kind of like be out there, showcase their skills because to dress up, uh, to do cosplaying correctly and make their costumes and dye their hair and like get everything to do to come out correctly, like the skill. Not only that, but I think also it's just a matter of the mental, like you fighting against that stereotype in the sense too of like. Only weird people do this, or you must be on some episode of Criminal Minds. It's like, no, this is like creativity. This is imagination. This yep. is childhood re envisioned as an adult. And it's also good because you see, like, how, you know, there's many characters in the world where it's like they're not, they don't look like us, but it's like that's what this character would be if they, you know, if they were look like us. They were black, you know, like Ariel, but we're not going to talk about her right now. No, we are. Oh. So. <laughs> I just, I cannot get over the continued, it's the epitome of just white tears and just like, oh my God, like our traditions. I'm like, do you understand? Not, Not only just that, but even when I look at it, I think it is utterly fucking ridiculous that in 2000 and anything, we still have to have a first. Whether it's a first black person or we ain't even got to the Asian community. Like, where's their they're, time? No, they're breaking through. No, no, they definitely they are, are breaking out. We got through. like Constance Wu and the yeah. dad and like, yes, you know, they, fresh they off got the boat some, and They got some long. stuff coming. But I think it's just a matter of like, your, there has been such a chokehold on the perception of society in terms of like who is king of the rock and how everyone else is filtered down from that, that it's like. Even looking at something like an Ariel, I'm like, Disney also created a little movie by the name of Fantasia. Yep. And there's a scene in Fantasia where the nymphs or the centaurs, whatever they're called, there are these mythical, centaurs. you know, centaurs, centaurs. Yeah. Mythical centaurs. All the centaurs, to be quite honest, look like different variations of the Disney princesses. Like, but the black centaur by the name of Sunflower literally is a pickaninny. They all are like these cute little luscious little half Arabian horse bodies or whatever. <laughs> they gave her a jacket. Like they literally gave her a mule. And she is running around filing their nails, getting them stuff, like literally being a slave to these grown white centaurs. And I'm like, that is the only black representation that is found in a Disney movie discography or whatever you want to call it 
for 70 plus fucking years. So I don't give a damn a single gas, solid, or liquid fuck about all of the mysteries. Okay, science. Right. (laughs) I don't give a damn about anybody running around here complaining that Ariel is black. She's a fucking mermaid. And there's been... Did you ever stop watching anything because they weren't black? Or did we just like, hey, we're going to watch it? I didn't stop watching Pepper Ann because it was Pepper no, Ann. I mean, that's valid. You know, it's valid. But it's also like when we did get a black version, I feel like that took precedence. That made any sense. Like Cinderella. I can't tell you the last time I watched regular Cinderella. If it wasn't Brandy, what we doing? First off, the whole family looked like the United Nations, and we didn't give a damn. We didn't, it, didn't, a, it didn't even make sense. The prince was, I think, tied. The he, daddy yeah. was white. Whoopi Goldberg was the yep, mama. Yep. And then the sisters <laughs> were all, everything was everybody. Listen, Bernadette make Peters was, I'm like, it, so, I mean, with that, that, to me, that was one of my favorite Disney movies because it, it showed diversity. In, in my like, own little chair, bitch. Yeah, Let me it showed, it showed diversity, saying. and it was just like, this is lit. Like, and to, I won't say. That was like the real first black princess, but I feel like for people our age, like that was our first black princess. Like, it really was. Never seen one before that, after that. I mean, Tony, well, after, yeah, but. Tony Braxton did play Belle, right? But that was only if you came from a certain socially. And if you were blessed to come from a black family that's like, y'all could fly down to New York, or maybe if you lived in New York where it's like, you know, you're already there, so the prices yeah, yeah, aren't yeah. maybe that expensive. But then that was a great opportunity for you then to see like a black rendition of a bell. And then also you had Kiki Palmer years later yeah, who did yeah, the role she, as awesome. well. So I'm just like, that's super dope. But outside of that, uh, they'll get over it. But no, I think that, that it, what you're bringing up in terms of like cosplay and concert or, you know, conferences and everything that we do. I think that's something that to continue with synergy and also, you know, even remind us like, Every space is our space. Yep. And I think that's something that these conferences are really... Like, I went to a Comic-Con last year. I'm going again this year, you know? And I went last year, you know, um, under somebody else's umbrella. I was doing, like, you know, correspondent work. And it was eye-opening for me because as a black woman who necessarily, like, wasn't that deep into anime or something, I had my own preconceived notions. And I went, I was like, oh, bitch, we back here. This is fun as hell. So... I can't wait to go. Um, but yeah, anything else you wanted to add? Uh, so let's wrap up this segment, bringing back uh, just conventions, conferences, and uh, Wakanda. Um, also note that during San Diego Comic-Con, which was one of the biggest, like, yeah, nerdiest. Yeah, I, I need to go there one day. One of the biggest conferences. Um, Black Panther 2 will be announced. So look out. All right. That's all I got for y'all. <laughs> Well, let me go ahead and, and dust Wrap it. off the album. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to prepare for this, but yeah, we're gonna be there. Okay, okay I'm gonna be there, good or bad, ugly, sad. We're gonna be there. Hello, so. mm. I might run out another theater. <laughs> no, okay. okay, all right then. That is it for this week's geeked up, and we will catch you next week. Yeah. <laughs>Hello, everybody. It is your girl. Joy has questions coming to you on another Sunday. I am having a lot of announcements to make. Number one, your girl is finally under the $3,000 mark for these goddamn braces. They are coming off. Cardi never lied. And I wish I had a sugar daddy to take care of these because I can't do it, Lord. Like, it's just too much money. Um, outside of me completely having a breakdown over healthcare, I have an amazing, amazing guest here today. This young woman 
sickening fade, eyebrows for days, like just jealous. (laughs) And then on top of it has the audacity to be one of the dopest directors, filmmakers that I've seen. Um, Definitely a pleasure to have her here on the couch. I have Zaina Thyris here today. Hi, guys. Thank you so (laughs) much for having me. No, thank you for just jumping and doing this. Like, I've been wanting to interview you, but when you moved to Atlanta, I was like, well, hot damn, this ain't going to (laughs) happen. I'm not doing a phone interview I have to have you here so I'm so I'm, happy to be here thank you thank you so much so we are just gonna jump right into it sure you know without spilling names I'm broke I don't have money for this but we definitely met each other at our, our former workplace we did so we were former co-workers we did yeah um you still being an amazing pro- producer, I had switched over to client side because I was like, I'm trying to can, but I can't. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's basically how we were introduced to each other. But even outside of just seeing you have an amazing work ethic, even when inside corporate America. Thank you. Watching you develop your brand outside. I was like, how the hell did I not know about this girl? <laughs> First and foremost, like, how did you get into filmmaking? Like, yeah. why was that something like out of all the artistic mediums? Like, what drew you to film? Well, I have um, a very non-traditional background. I never, ever thought that I'd be a film producer or director. Um, I was homeschooled until I was 15 years old, and then I started college when I was that age. And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I know this is a horrible interview scale. <laughs> did you say you started college at 15? I did. I well, did. let me show my community college. Ass. I'm not kidding. No, I, like, I, I went to community college first. And got oh, my you were doing yeah at 15. At 15. And I was so, still secretly talking to Barbie dolls, but that's neither here but, nor there. But I mean, there. so was I, and that's the thing. It's like everybody praises the academia, but that was actually really hard for me being thrown into an adult environment at mm. that age. Okay. And so uh, I, when I went to college that young, of course, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was. A child, you know, and and so I, I started off in zoology because I was like, I like animals, I guess, you know. I changed my major like six times. I finally I wound up majoring in marketing and minoring in acting, and I wanted it to be the other way around. But my parents were like, we're not paying for that. So I'm like, okay. Um, and my senior year, I interned at a talent agency, and that's when I realized that there was a world of production outside of acting, mm-hmm. outside of being in front of the camera. And acting was my escape for a while. It still is my escape. Um, I got to be someone else. I got to escape from the situation that I was in. I got to be morph into whoever I wanted to be. So acting was very therapeutic for me at that young age, being in an adult environment and trying to navigate that space. Um, But then when I interned at the talent agency and I saw, wow, there's producers, there's directors, there's writers, there's script supervisors, there's gaffers, there's grips, there's people out there with professions in film. I want to learn about that. And so that's what prompted me to get my master's in cinema production okay. from DePaul. Uh, I graduated with my master's when I was 22. And uh, since 2015, I've produced 14 films. Um, five of those are streaming on Amazon Prime Video. The other are on 10 different platforms. So Documentary Storm, Sophie TV, MAFA, The Damn Network, um, a lot oh. of different platforms. Uh, Aurora TV and... Um, yeah, at FCB Chicago, which is the ad agency, they saw my reel and asked me to come in. And then two weeks later, I was brought on full time as an associate producer. And uh, I had no idea that ad production even 
existed. Wow. Um, yeah. So I they, thought that the way you, I was like, oh, she's done this. No, she's I, been here. I had no idea. Um, but there were a lot of parallels between indie production and ad production mm-hmm. that I was able to bring on. And so I was the only associate producer who went on a shoot that quickly. And so after 10 months, they promoted me to mid-level. And again, I just fell into this world. It was, it was really crazy to me. And, uh, then I just recently relocated to Atlanta in, uh, December of 2018. And that's where I'm at now doing ad production and film production. Girl, that is a testimony. Like you used to be <laughs> on one of those like IG stories, like because of them, we can. <laughs> like, that is amazing. Thank no, you. And I think that also just speaks to not even just, I not to be so cliche and say professionalism, but just like your spirit in terms of like, you've always had amazing energy of truly watching your own damn lawn and not being concerned with what's happening in other people's yards. And I think, you know, I can only speak on the outside looking in, but whenever I saw you, you just looked like you were just so focused on what Zayna had going on and didn't care about what was happening around you. And I think that's a really, really good, um, attribute to have when you're trying to, you know, create your own brand and your own form of success. I appreciate that. And that's, I mean, that's the key to it all. I know we're going to get into that more, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's, I I mean, that would be my, if I had a tagline, it would be stay in your lane. You know, like it's just, you know, mind the business (laughs) that pays you. Exactly. Don't mind anybody else's because trust me, it will not help you. It won't. Um, so I even remember just even pulling from that and looking at your artistry. I believe like it was some sort of almost like a documentary or, or because it's not just you who I believe was homeschooled. Like it was your siblings as well. Yeah, right? so. I did a feature documentary on my family. It's called Ready, Set, Adult. It's on Amazon Prime Video. And uh, I all of my siblings were all homeschooled. So we went to college at like 14, 15 years old. I have my own theory about I think children who are homeschooled have their families have cracked the code of how to get around the BS of like traditional academia because I I see so many, well, I can't make homogenous statements, but I see a lot of families where it's like the kids are 14 and just so much more well-rounded, I guess, in one aspect. And that's, that's the kicker. It's Mm -hmm. really the academic aspect Mm -hmm. because you get the one-on-one attention from your teacher. You're not in a classroom of 30 kids. You get to actually learn at your own pace. It's like having a private tutor every single day. So academically, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we think about what it's like to bring a child into an adult space, that transition was, I mean, for me personally and for my brother, that was really hard for us. For my two sisters, they had an easier time. Um, But thinking about, you know, people my age were worried about like prom and driver's licenses. And I'm like, I have to pick a major. You know, my classmates have children and I have a curfew. Like, what is that like? Because being in at a community college, you get students that are anywhere from 18 years old to 50 years right. old. And so you're in a group where you're expected to have a lot of life experience that I didn't have. You know, I'm going through like the weird puberty phase. Everybody's been through that, done that. Some of them been to college, came back for second degrees. Like they've been I'm experiencing life, life and, and now I'm trying child. to get academic. Yeah. So that's, and that was what I was surrounded by. And so not only did it force you to grow up, um, my, my, my mom was really concerned about us still being kids and having childhood. So that dynamic of being at home and being treated like a child and then at school being in a very adult space, I didn't really figure out who I was because I, in one space I had to be one way and the other space I had to be the other. 
So a lot of times people do compliment me on my maturity and work ethic. I think the maturity is because I didn't have a chance to not be mature. Mm -hmm. And then my work ethic was kind of dodging the reality that I was in. I leaned into work. So I can, yes, I understand that. It's like, <laughs> I can't control anything else, but you're going to get this done. Exactly. By 10 <laughs> exactly. 10 exactly. Not 1001. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So it's tough, but you know. No, you definitely have made it look easy. You know, like definitely the process. No one sees the full aspect of it. So yeah. actually moving right into like the different type of stories, like having 14 different, you know, pieces of art and bodies of work, like under your belt is a huge accomplishment. You know, there's Mm -hmm. some people that, you know, and no shame to their journey at all that are still trying to get, you know, that one story, maybe perhaps Mm -hmm. off the ground. Have you been able just to, you know, knock out story after story? And, you know, what is that process in terms of like how you choose what it is that you, you know, want to necessarily work on next? Well, okay, so this is a two-part question. Mm-hmm. I will, I'll start with the first of who I am as a filmmaker and how I've branded myself as a filmmaker. I am somebody who aims to merge arts and activism through narrative and documentary storytelling. So I only do work and create work ever since I've launched my brand, Zanathyrus Productions, which was two years uh, after I started filmmaking. It's dedicated to meaningful work. So usually... Anybody on my set, I I try to bring on independent filmmakers that are minorities, first and foremost. Like my last film, Demons, it's actually, is nominated for Best Short Film at Creative Artists of Atlanta Awards. The DP, the director of that was a black queer woman. The DP was a black man. My entire cast was black. You know, I like telling stories. Yes. I like giving opportunities to people who usually aren't given the opportunities in those spaces. Um... Everybody on my sets is always, you know, given IMDb credit, footage for their reel. They'll given a list of festivals that we're submitting it to. They're able to use all the streaming platforms that I submit the films to. They'll see that up front. They'll be able to use that in their portfolios. We'll have behind the scenes photographers on set so they could use that in their press kits. It's giving independent minority filmmakers who usually are not given these opportunities, those opportunities. So that's who I choose to work with. That's how I pick my crew. That's how I pick my cast. In terms of stories, um, like I said, arts and activism. So my most recent documentary that's premiering at Bronze Lens is called Black Feminism. It is... I love Bronze Lens. Yes. I can't wait. Yes, I got to see this. <laughs> so it's, um, it's basically exploring the double-edged sword of racial and gender oppression that black women face. And there's four chapters to it. So we go into what is black feminism. So we define it because there's a lot of myths surrounding what mm-hmm. it actually is. Then we go into the history of black feminism. It's called This Ain't New. And we go back to black feminists dating back to the 1700s and do like little bits on who they were. Uh, chapter three is Becky's bullshit. So we talk about white women and feminism and how it's really just a coded racism really have me there for that panel discussion (laughs) i would love to ask a question yeah no it's it's it gets deep and then chapter four is boy by which is black men and black feminism and how Mm -hmm. the black uh liberation movement is really excluding a lot of different people within the black community because i'm sorry no you're fine i'm like (laughs) oh that it definitely does yeah yeah. just really speaking to like if we're all going to be liberated means black poor people and black rich people black educated black uneducated black Black women black men black queer people black straight people you know it means all of us and so um we've we've included doctors lawyers scholars authors professors uh my friend who's a sexual assault prevention instructor um ex-navy men like we've included a lot of people in this discussion and it's narrated by 
uh, Nadira Lug, who plays um, Latoya Johnson. She's like the professor of Black Girl Magic University. So there's a lot going on in the film, but it's premiering in Atlanta at Bronze Lens. And it's, it's again, just kind of a testament to who I am as a filmmaker. I wrote, produced, and directed that one. Um, and then also Man Up, you know, that is an animated short film surrounding toxic masculinity. And it's actually written by um, somebody who's a creative writer, ex-Navy man, and he, or a retired Navy vet, and he is, um, he wrote the story basically based on a, a man listening to his sons and his friends talking about women. Mm-hmm. And then later that day, he has a discussion with him and, and opens up the floor to say, you know, let's, let's talk about the conversation you were having and the language you were using and why it was wrong. Because a lot of times, either A, we don't say something, or B, it's not reprimanded, and C, we don't explain why. He takes the time to break it down to his son as to this is why this ideology is harmful, and this is what your friends are saying, and this is actually what this means, even though you guys think you're joking. It's not a joke. And going past the whole thing of, because I said so, which is not an answer. It's not. Like, it's not. All. It's not. And he's like, I understand you want to be cool. I understand you want to fit in. But what you don't understand while you're doing that is you're degrading actual human beings, actual people, and you're taking away their choice. And he really breaks that down. And we chose to do that animated uh, just because it, it would be... That takes a little bit of the edge off. It takes a little bit of the edge off. You're also not limited in terms of world. Mm -hmm. So you get to, you know, it's it's not anything that you're shooting. It's something you're designing. And then also working with an entire, you know, all black cast of men, you know, to do this for the voiceover portion of it was great. Um, So that is in the first phases of animation. We're looking at finalizing that in September. So, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, just a little bit of the, the, some of the examples of the work that I do, but a lot of my films surround subjects as that. And that's what I push going forward to have, to give minority filmmakers, um, opportunities on these sets and then also to tell stories that need to be told. I think the main two things that I, I really feel are amazing that are highlighted in terms of what you do is how you're paying your staff even if it's not necessarily like fully in in a monetary value. And that's a lot of things that sometimes we take for granted because when it comes down to it, at times we can hear like maybe necessarily like, oh, can you do this for me or can you help me out with this project? But there's nothing actually tangible that's being traded. You know, it's not a 50-50 situation. And and our whole culture, you know, the African diaspora is based on bartering. Like right. there, it's not something that's foreign to us as, you know, a people or as right. a, as a, uh, a community. It's just a matter of, are you truly bartering? Right. You know? And so that's something I think is number one, very important having someone and also helping push equity, having sure. someone have their body of work mm-hmm. is fucking phenomenal because how many times it's like, Oh, we just create something. And then we so easily give it away to somebody else without realizing, like, the significance. And if you think other people don't take notice of that, they totally do. Actually, yeah. um, it was a joke. My cousin put me on Veep, right? Yeah. And the show is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this one random scene where this white man is talking to Selena. And he goes, what I realized is that black rappers would just give away their publishing rights for nearly next to nothing which is so not funny but it was like the scene was hilarious but i remember sitting there going like my god like 
everyone realizes this. Yeah. And so the fact that you're offering, you know, equity, I think yeah. is amazing. And then secondly, seeing black men. Yeah who are willing to be a part of projects like that. It's very, and you know what? It speaks to people's, they're out there, mm -hmm. you know, people who are like-minded and people who believe in true black liberation are out there. Um, I, I will say kind of speaking to the second question you asked, you know, how did I churn out so much content, 14 films since 2015. And the first thing that I tell filmmakers is, nimble and scrappy and resourceful mm -hmm. is the name of the game i don't there's so many depressed independent filmmakers out there who are not getting their work out there because they're writing 1920s period pieces with four cadillacs and a mansion in the first scene and wondering why they can't get it off the ground you have a hundred dollars in your bank account right and you're expecting other people to believe in your vision and fund your vision with nothing to show for it what is the most incredible thing you can create in one room with two characters you know, like, what can you do a silent film and record the voiceover on your phone instead of having a sound person? Can we use natural light instead of having to book lights? What can you shoot on your phone? You right. know, like, what are the things that you could do tangibly? I'm always telling independent filmmakers, don't write a script with stuff you need to get. Write a script with stuff you have already. Right. And that's how you get it off the ground. A lot of my films, out, out of the 14 films, I've self-funded 12 of them. The biggest budget I've had was $5,000. The smallest budget I've had was a hundred. There two and yet you still have, what, 14 films. 14 films. Right. There's two films that are streaming on Amazon Prime of mine that I did for $100 each. It's very doable. It's very possible. And they look good. And they're, they're award-winning films. And um, streaming sites have picked them up. And the people who were a part of that film got the footage for their reels. They have the IMDb credit. They're able to use that. You know, and it's, I, I never am somebody who's like, I'm going to do this $100,000 budget film and try to do this because it's just not within my means. I work within my means mm -hmm. and that's how I'm able to um, really push the content forward. And I also think, you know, my, my skill set is producing. I, I direct, write and edit and I act to protect my vision, but really overseeing the production process from script to ship and making sure we have a production schedule, a shoot schedule, a post schedule, contracts are signed, locations are in place. Honest right, on their, exactly. On their shit. And like, right, moving the production forward and saying this is our ship date, this is our delivery date. You talk to a lot of indie film producers and you ask where their project is, they're like, you know, it's in production, we're working on it, and it's just kind of like in this abyss, this world of working like working week we're, one, week right, twelve. Where where are we in this? What is the goal? What is the end date? Mm -hmm. And so I I I think it's a combination of being nimble and scrappy and using my resources that I have and then also my expertise lying in actually managing the production. So I think that's that's how. I think you hit on the head just saying like a lot of times when you are having conversations with independent, you know, filmmakers, it's it's almost like you're creating a Tyler Perry production but you don't have his budget. You don't have his production studio. Yep. You don't, and a lot of people forget, like, say what you want about maybe the quality of his films or maybe some of the deeper themes. But mm -hmm. one thing I can honestly say is he has built it based on what he had at the time. Yep. You know, when he was homeless on a park bench, he wasn't sitting here now saying, like, let me make something that's going to be shown at, you know, the Cadillac Palace Theater. Exactly. You know, and so also exactly. realizing, like, how can I make those slow little progressive steps to keep moving forward? And a lot mm -hmm. of times, like, people don't scale correctly. No. You no. automatically are like, I'm going to write Moonlight. Right. And the thing that, even for me, like, when I look at that, you know, young playwright's journey, 
I remember when he got the MacArthur Graham because I'm the ultimate nerd and I was watching the PBS programming that was talking about like that year's MacArthur Graham winners. And Mm -hmm. so he was saying like, yep, I'm just getting this off the ground. Like we've been showing this at a couple like different local theaters. And that was the original Moonlight. And I looked and I thought now when I saw the movie, it was great. He kept Kevin or Mm -hmm. the adult Kevin, you know? Mm -hmm. So also remembering those people who were there with you in the trenches. Right. We're willing to barter or to, you know, to work with you. Right. I think that's a great thing to see. Like, finally, when you are on that Oscar stage, yeah. now you can have that conversation. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that I, I think that's, it's just something that it's, it's those steps. You can't skip the process. You can't. And also, I think indie filmmakers, have we have this idea of like, no one's supporting me. Nobody's doing this. And it's kind of, it's, it's really, I hate to say it, but it's almost like, um, it's it's entitlement sugarcoated in pity. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a lot of times we have to understand that, I mean, fundraising is hard as is, but I look at asking for people to fund my film as like asking people to buy me a new car. Right. It's like, yeah, the car is nice. Yes, I'm sure your script is fantastic, but you cannot expect people to believe in your vision like you do. Also, and I think that that's really when being nimble and scrappy and, you know, being honest with filmmakers, I'm always like, hey, I don't have money, but this is what I can give you. You know, especially if it's if they're recent graduates or people who are looking for work for their reels or whatever it may be like, this is what I can offer. This is, you know, you will guaranteed have a date, a film by this date and time. Um, and just like you said, you know, bartering and making sure that everybody is compensated in some way right. is, is a really important thing for me and how I'll just continue to, to move. Definitely. I think even like slightly pivoting for a moment, yeah. <clears throat> it's quite clear that you are invested in telling black stories. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this week everyone lost their shit as you know Haley um of the singing duo the two sisters or I said Haley Hallie (laughs) tired um (laughs) Hallie um one half of the singing duo Chloe and Hallie clearly um protégés of Beyonce she was selected to be the new Ariel in the live action remake of the Little Mermaid yeah and just seeing like just the visceral reaction clear racism just I'm not shocked at it mm-hmm. because it's like, of course you're screaming, right? Like to be the majority in this entitled and this spoiled, but, mm-hmm. um, as a filmmaker, like what were just your, your thoughts on the decision from Disney? I'll tell you mine when you're done. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't have any thoughts. Like it's, it tickles me, you know, that people, cause I, I look at Disney princesses and, you know, Mulan's culture is part of her story. Pocahontas's culture is part of the story. You know, like a mermaid could quite literally be orange with like purple polka dots. It doesn't matter. And so that's from one perspective that I'm just laughing that people are like riding. Like we got, the US has like kids in cages and we're like protesting right. about a fish damn near. Like I'm just, it's, it's, it's just like hard for me to wrap my head around that people are this angry at it because it doesn't make sense um also i think that if you're familiar at all half the people who are outraged don't even know who hallie is and if you actually her voice is actually very distinctly different from chloe's sisters yeah and if you actually it's way higher and then also it's a lot softer and her range is that of one 
that would be perfect to play I Ariel. I can't wait for or- Ursula to take her voice because yeah. when she has to do that run, that's yeah. going to be perfect. I also think that how she speaks, like in the show Grownish, mm-hmm. like I think she quite literally would be the perfect Ariel. Like that character from a casting perspective made sense to me. So that coupled with not really understanding why people are so outraged because it doesn't matter. Um, it just was, it's, it's laughable, I guess. I think it just showed me, well, two things. So one, like everyone was going up like Disney, yes to this casting. And I'm like, I think a lot of times we still give too much to corporations for Mm -hmm. doing commonsensical things, Mm -hmm. you know, like the meme that's continued to be circulated is saying how like from 1937 to 2009, Disney had 37 Disney princess movies before they even thought to say, hey, we're going to have the first black one. Mm -hmm. And I remember even then, like when it first came out, the controversy that surrounded everyone was like, well, for the half the movie, she's a damn frog, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's like, okay, well, I get a glimpse of this black woman trying to make it happen. Yeah. But even outside of that, just showing like just blatant ignorance Mm -hmm. and stupidity, willful stupidity. Because Princess Tiana is based off of the famous black Louisiana chef, Leah Chase, who spent her lifetime not only being this phenomenal um, cook um, with, I believe the name of her restaurant is Dookie Banks, if Mm -hmm. I'm saying it right. Not only being this amazing self-taught chef. Yeah. Um. But also being an activist, yeah. like everyone knew they could come to her restaurant after they just, you know, having a day of German shepherds and bricks thrown yeah. at them. They could come to her restaurant and find some camaraderie and, you know, solace, solace yeah. and, you know, be able to sort of recharge themselves now right. for the next day. Mm-hmm. And even when you look at the story, you can't tell that story of this Louisiana woman being told by like these white men, if you don't have the down payment by tomorrow, we don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. You can't tell that from any other perspective. This isn't us trying to change Elsa and Anna, which in actuality Mm -hmm. are based on Norwegian princesses. So that to me, like I could see like if there was an issue there, because that's actually now you're trying to, you know, I don't want to say like whitewash. Obviously they already were white princesses, but now that's like taking away from that specific culture. Right. Ariel could have, like you said, been fucking... It makes no sense. It's just like, y'all, it's a mermaid. Like, it's, it's a mermaid, and again, Hallie is a perfect... From a casting director's perspective, she quite literally is perfect for this. I, again, it's, it just it made me laugh and roll my eyes, and the memes are a good time, because it's just... It's just the I'll internet the one wastes I saw no time. Will forever be undefeated, because <laughs> when somebody was like... Yeah, 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 that's cute. All I know is this, Sebastian better still be fucking Jamaican. I was like, well, let's not. <laughs> let's not get too carried right here because I'm my like, God. I do want yeah. my nice saucy crap that's sort of around here. Like, girl, what's your problem? Like, that's yeah. literally putting her in her place. Yeah, my favorite one is like, keep keep complaining. We're coming for Elsa next. See, I saw like, the He-Man I one. I love, oh my gosh. I didn't like that one, but that, the- I'll tell you that reason. <laughs> just the inner just how quick just how quick people are with i'm like you guys were like literally like the moment it was announced i'm like where are these memes coming from it's just i wish i had that skill to like write jokes that and make memes that quick because they are so quick i just oh god there are some accounts i've been you know doing that since like instagram's inception inception and i'm like 
those people are are wealthy. Like that has funded other projects <laughs> yes, because they knew yes. how to make memes. Like yeah. or the young man that now is interning at Google or for Netflix and yeah. about to make the Cat in the Hat because he made a black raw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the young man that was like, "Uh, you forgot our June Juneteenth on chains. Google." And so Google's like, "Well, we have a job. Yeah, so come this way, sis." Right. I think that's the thing that's amazing. Um. I was not about to seek really join all the hate groups just to see them being hateful and spiteful. I, I mean, she's I got know more I, support than hate. She's got way more support and it, people's hate, you know, and Beyonce probably prepped her. Like we already know. We already know. Like we're not, I mean, Beyonce is Nala. We got childish Gambino in Lion King. We got Will Smith as the genie. Like we're not, I mean, it's only going to go up from here. James Earl Jones stayed alive. Right. Hello. (laughs) Like we're just, I mean, it's just, it's going to keep happening over and over and over again and more and bigger and greater. And people are just going to, they're just going to stay mad. So it just, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, Side note, they just dropped the live action trailer for Mulan today. I saw it. And when I tell you, I took off. I was like, oh, she is bad. Yes. she, She is not. It's actually a little bit more. Somber? Yeah. It, it's like, I thought it would be, like, original Mulan is, like, kind of funny. Yeah. You know? And this one, I was like, oh. There's no quirks to it. I didn't you know, see it in the there's trailer no, at all. In the trailer, it's very much so, like, this was her culture. This is what they were pushing. And this is this is her way of representing it. And I mm-hmm. think, I mean, from what I saw, it's only two-minute trailer. But I think they did that very well. I thought from it was what phenomenal. I saw, I was the like, way oh. they just opposed the matchmaker's voice against, like, her, you know, being soft as yeah. she's wielding this knife about yeah. to slice you with smithereens. Like, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, because it it just redefines femininity and mm-hmm. like what we what we look and expect from a woman. And she still very much so was a woman, but she exuded grace and precision in a different way than they expected. And I think that that was just oh, phenomenal. Um, so yeah, that's just, I knew I was like, Oh, I have a filmmaker coming. Let's talk about this casting. How do yeah. you feel about it? <laughs> no, I think it was a perfect casting choice. I thought it was too. And <laughs> was just great. in the sense of like, I already love grownish. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you had me at hell. I was like, Oh, she's in this. We're done. Yeah. And then they're also now trying to campaign for Idris to be King Triton. Which is great. Which and I'm I, again, for. like, I'm just, I mean, I'm also very particular about, like, okay, but does the casting choice make sense? Mm-hmm. And I really think Hallie makes sense. Like, how she, who she is as an actress and her voice, Ariel, like, that just, she literally just makes sense to me. So I don't, ugh. people. Yeah. We can't complain about Ariel. Meanwhile, we got kids in cages, like, picking these puppies. Right. Like, <laughs> I okay. just live here. <laughs> like, I, I guess, sis. Um, so when it comes down to, you know, clearly you let your work speak for yourself. And like you said, like, you're an award-winning um, director and producer. But how do you navigate, like, the politics of, you know, the film world when it comes down to, like, okay, do I need to network more? Do I need to, you know, does this require donating to this? Mm-hmm. Or, like, how do you balance that in terms of, like, letting your work speak versus, you know, who to talk to to actually get in front and get your work in front of? Um, yeah, I've never really played into politics. Cool. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, when I have a film, you know, I love social media. Um, but I also am telling filmmakers, you know, I, I love streaming platforms. My films are streaming on 10 different platforms and all of those platforms have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages and an email subscription list. So when my films are on those platforms and they, those platforms promote my films, 
other filmmakers see it, other filmmakers follow me. I download their platforms and I watch other films from other filmmakers and connect with them as well. I do the same thing with festivals. You know, I'm making a list at Bronze Lens of who else is screening there so I could go up and talk to them. You know, like it's very much so um, using my work as a networking tool, Mm -hmm. but I I had to learn that by doing. Um, And, you know, talk to everybody on your set. You know, your gaffer knows a sound person. Your sound person may know a music, you know, artist. Your music person might know somebody to do Foley and sound. You know, really building your roster based off of your immediate network because you never know who knows who. Right. So, um, but again, I don't, you know, Hollywood's never been a goal for me. I love the fact that I, my my day job is in production and I work full-time in production, but that, my day job is my primary investor in my my independent film productions, and I have no bounds in that way. Right. Like I can use my income from that to fund my independent films and do that how I want to do that and bring on who I want to bring on and submit it to what festivals I want to submit it to. And so that's just how I like to work. Um, I'm never somebody who wanted to rely on my indie films for my paycheck because then once you rely on, on, on like, that's a lot more pressure. It's a lot more pressure and it kind of takes the creativity out of it. You're doing it because you have to, instead mm-hmm. of because you want to, I'm doing the films, not cause I got rent to pay. I'm doing it cause I really want to tell the story. And so for me, like it's, ne- I've never really played into that. I have to do this this way. Cause I, I don't really have parameters. I only have bounds. That I have to like live by. So no, I that I think that does, literally just had this conversation with my mentor but it's like when you're not chained to the paycheck part of it it keeps you from fear mm-hmm. you know you're able to say like okay well this is what i really want to do the reasons why i really want to do it not well i gotta crank something out or i have to endure this you know because i need to make sure these lights stay on right you know so it does help to balance that out a lot better um and it that's does. something that a lot of times people like don't even take that into consideration yeah don't um, quit your day job <laughs> I'm like I, I feel like I say this every episode but it's true I'm never gonna knock somebody who has a day job and also is an entrepreneur because that means at least there are two streams absolutely of income coming in and if you're still in the investing part of your passion yes then at least you have something now to funnel money consistently into that passion absolutely so you should never knock people yes. that have a day job just because they aren't out here necessarily eating Ritz crackers Right. You know, all goddamn day. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has their own journey. And but I don't I don't think that independent artists specifically that we necessarily have to just drop all and dive 1000 percent into our work, because not only does that add pressure, it adds stress. Mm -hmm. It adds, you know, there's a there's a little bit uh, there's a difference between being, you know, strategic and being able to pace what you do and why you do it as opposed to just doing it because you have to. Right. And I think that's the difference between the artists who are doing it because they want to and are doing it because it's like, I need this to survive. Exactly. So I think, you know, I'm always telling people, you don't, a lot of people think that I just do my films and I'm like, no, I I literally work full time. (laughs) I work full time and after work is when I have my production meetings and on weekends is when I film. And that's just how I how i live my life like exactly. it's not, it works and that's me. Thing, like like you said it's your journey yeah so that's the yeah. thing that matters but um i know you no longer unfortunately live in the city of Wynn. you did I come don't. through to visit this holiday season but yes. um 
you're currently in Atlanta. Yes. And I know we were briefly talking about that beforehand. Like, how has it been living in ATL in terms of like your networking, your collaboration, really, yeah. you know, maybe connecting to get certain projects off the ground versus like being in Chicago? Well, I think there's there's pros and cons to Atlanta. You know, being from Chicago and being here for 23 years before I just dipped mm-hmm. to Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's pace is just different. Atlanta, Atlanta's pace is very slow. Um, I'm like I said, I'm not used to being somewhere where people don't instinctively take initiative to do things. And um, that that Atlanta is also very spaced out. You know, it's not Chicago's on a grid. Everything connects to everything in Chicago. It's so easy to get to. Um, Atlanta, Even our diagonal streets make sense. Literally, <laughs> like, like it's like Atlanta is just it's the country, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like Atlanta just happened. And so that's kind of reflected in the work. Um, Atlanta is also someplace where anybody can walk in anywhere and say there's something and you're believed. You know, nobody really checks up on you. Wow. You know, like you can, you literally can say, oh, I'm a videographer or I'm a sound this or I'm a this. And people are like, okay, cool. We're going to bring you on this. You know, it's, it's. It's kind of scary in a way. Like, no, there's there's a, the it's level a of accountability. Yeah, it's just not what it is in Chicago and not what I'm used to. So there's that. Um, but I will say uh, I just filmed my 14th film in Atlanta. And that was a beautiful experience. Um, my I actually taught a film class in Atlanta. And a girl who attended the class, she came up to me afterwards and was like, hey, I'm from New York. You know, like... I have a lot of resources. I would love to collaborate. So we went to lunch the next weekend, and I, I showed her the script that I was going to shoot when I get back to Chicago because I have my resources here. And she's like, oh, well, I've got access to the urgent care facility. You just need insurance. And I had insurance with my production company. She's like, I have access to the house. Uh, you just need insurance. She's like, I've got the fake pregnant belly prop. I've got all of this stuff that she, she literally took my budget from like 10K to $800 because wow. she had everything. So I brought her on as executive producer. So having an executive producer on that project, I was actually able to uh, co-produce with that, but also being the writer, director, I edited the film and I was also in it. So um, she also had access to crew. She knew crew. I brought on the videographer. She brought on the gaffer, sound uh, or AC uh, I brought on the second AD. Like, we were tag teaming, and it was lovely. Um, and we had a very small group. It was, like, like eight of us on set, three-day production. Um, and literally, the, the film's almost done now. It was a phenomenal experience. But we had, you know, we were both from the city, and so we moved very identically. Okay. Um, so it, it, it's Atlanta is someplace that I would say you have to just figure out. And don't go to Atlanta with the mindset that it's going to be like a city. Because it's painted as a city, but it's not. It's really? not at okay. all. Okay, when you say it's painted, because let's be honest, there yeah. is so much quote-unquote reality TV production coming out of Atlanta. Right. To be honest, like that's all I kind of, like I either associate it with Southern Comfort, mm-hmm. Black Grandmas, Chicken and Black Eyed Peas, right. you know, Chicken and Waffles, or I'm literally thinking of like, I don't know, like Hustle and Soul, probably right. about to go there, or Love and Hip Hop, or what's the Housewives, all yeah. of them. Like, so what is it when you say like 
I would break s- that down a little bit. So it's Atlanta is a big film hub because of the tax credit incentive. So if you spend over $500,000 on your production, you get 30% of that back. I wonder how that new great abortion law though, yeah. is going to affect that. Because I've seen a lot of productions that are like, we aren't coming here. It's actually, have, even in the ad world, I've had directors turn down jobs because they don't want to film in Atlanta. Wow. So it's actually, it is affecting the, the productions that are going there. But um, that's why a lot of people come to Atlanta to film. Uh-huh. People who live in Atlanta generally have been there their entire lives. So as a filmmaker coming from elsewhere, you might hear a lot of people say, oh, Atlanta is this amazing film hub, but you go there to film. You go there to visit. You go there for specific reasons. I, if I had known that, I don't know that I would have made the move to like relocate. I would have visited, you know, I would have networked and maybe even would have filmed a film there, but it's, it's definitely a family town. You know, it's really slow. Outside of the immediate city, it's all country. Like, there's just, like, a little hub. I have and family in just, Gray, Georgia. I don't even think they still have sidewalks next to the highway. They do, like, It's, it's not a walking city. It's not a... It's it's funny what they consider a city, you know? But they... It's it's painted to be just this mecca. And it's like, ah, uh, it's not. If you can drive, <laughs> then yeah, it's a mecca. Yeah, and if you're willing to sit in traffic for two, three hours, you know, like, if you are... Again, there for the specific reason, cool. But Atlanta is definitely from coming from a Chicagoan's perspective, it's not what it's made out to be. I think that's always though what happened winds up happening to us because there's no place I've ever been, honestly, with the exception of New York, that when I came home, I was like, Oh God, it's calm. Like yes. New York had my anxiety on like Pocahontas <laughs> jumping off the cliff. <laughs> like it was bad. Wow. But I remember coming back and actually it was with Sean. It was after um, to the ad color conference and we yeah. took the blue line back to Jackson. And I remember getting off and just like walking down straight and I was like, Sean, listen. He was like, what? And I was like, I don't like I was like we can walk down the block with our suitcases and we're okay but yeah I I think that's a lot of times like we also kind of get spoiled because we are in a large ass metropolis like our downtown is huge it is like it's the beautiful thing about Chicago is that it's like a big city in a small town. You know, you kind of right. get a little bit of everything. But you see the big city. You like, see. Exactly. It's really a city where it's a city and then you branch out a little bit and mm-hmm. it's still very functional. It's still very accessible. You get a lot of different types of neighborhoods, a lot of different. I mean, it's so it's Chicago's ridiculously diverse. And, you know, whereas New York is just it's it's busy, it's crowded, it's it's. It is diverse. Yeah. But I will say this, like if Chicago could get past its segregation segregation yeah. bullshit, we would be just as amazing as New York. Because oh, I yeah. think I can't tell you how many other friends I have that are like Haitian or Caribbean, you know, mm-hmm. out of that or even African, they're just like Yeah. Even amongst the African diaspora here. It is like everyone's in their little pockets and it's so hard to like even connect. You can be quote unquote within the black community and still feel like, no, I'm by myself. Yeah. I'm with people who don't get it. Yeah. So I think that's like a different aspect too that I'm like, oh, our city still has some work to do. Absolutely. Oh, Chicago is not perfect by any means. It's very, it's incredibly segregated. Um, there are a lot of egos here. I will say the work matches the egos a little bit 
little bit better. I had made that sound. I'm like, I just need your ego to match your artistry. Right. And if you did that, I yeah. could kind of justify it. And but this is ridiculous. Yeah. And in Atlanta, you get people who are, you know, you again, you can... In Chicago, it's also a film school hub. Mm-hmm. You know, people who study it's the Columbia, craft. And, you know, there's yeah. the Columbia, there's DePaul. There's, I mean, there's just film people here. And so even if you go to, like, the screenings and the events in Atlanta, as opposed to the ones in Chicago, it's very different in terms of what's shown, in terms of what is praised, in terms of what is expected. Um, it's just, it's a different world. It's a, <laughs> it's a whole different world. Well, Ariel said it. No, that wasn't Ariel. That was Jasmine. See, it's been too many. I'm getting confused. Right. Disney is cranking out these remakes like. So quick, right? The millennials are parents now, and we will get your kids from. Hello. Um, but even outside of that, and I know just looking at clearly work, 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 work. You are a mother of two. Amazing cats. <laughs> yes. Um, you, mom has to still play. How do you balance? your work life versus keeping your cats away from your clothes before <laughs> they scratch up everything. Like yeah. how do you, you know, balance that and also like having like some personal time to yourself? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, um, I feel like I get my outlet through my creative work. Mm. You know, like it's every time I'm on set or in a production meeting, I'm meeting new people. I'm talking to new people. You know, if I'm at a film screening again, it's, I'm around filmmakers in just what I do. Right. So that to me is where I get my outlet. I feel like solitude is something that is so, I, I value that so much. I love my alone time. So anytime I'm off work, if I don't have a production meeting, if I don't have an event, if I'm not on a film set somewhere, I'm at home chilling because that's where I want to be. You know, it's, it's very hard to get me out of the house without a real purpose. Right. To just come kick it. It's just like, okay, but why? Like, I could do this in the comfort of my own home. Right. You know, if you want to talk to me, FaceTime. <laughs> I don't need to have a pina colada. What are, we, what are we going? What are we doing? For what? So I'm very intentional about my time and where I spend my time. And I think that's how I balance feeling, um, any, any feeling of being, like, overwhelmed. Um, I also don't. I don't bite off more than I can chew. I'm very quick. A lot of people ask me to collaborate and my calendar is full and for 2019. Like I can't you have take to on know how any to more say projects. No. Yeah. And I'm quick to say I can't take on any projects, but if you have any filmmaking questions, if you have any production questions, please let me know. Like I will do my like email them a list to me and I'll do my best to answer each and every one of them as soon as I can. You know, I make sure that I I demystify filmmaking as much as I can. I love right. teaching film workshops. I've taught three in Atlanta, one in Chicago. Um, one was called like Broke as Fuck Independent Filmmakers Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> can we just do a Broke as Fuck Budgeting Workshop? No, right. I'm like, <laughs> Another one was uh, Black Girl Magic uh, Indie Filmmakers Workshop. It was specifically for black women in Atlanta. Um, and another one was script to screen and I had a writer teach the first portion of it talking about character and story structure and screenwriting. And then the other half of that was production. And so, um, I, I think that just to re- like <laughs> tie this long answer up in, with a bow uh-huh. is very much so, um, understanding what I can take on and what I can't and managing my time, not trying to cram everything in. You know, if I have a project, I don't need to be taking on another project until this one is complete. You know, if Follow I... Follow through. Right. 
the follow through. And then also if I don't want to go out, if I don't want to do something, I just say no. I have, I don't have any problem saying no. I think that's great in terms of boundaries, but then also it, I always find it reveals a lot from others in terms of like, can they handle those boundaries? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it is a a twofold street, like understanding like when your friends say no, like if they need to recharge, if they're going through something, I think that, you have to have that balance. You no know? is a complete sentence. It's just a complete sentence. It's I don't a need decla- a reason. It's the shortest sentence, yeah. actually. I just don't, I don't, you know, if you, no doesn't mean convince me. You know, it's like, nah, I'm good. Like, and that's no, people need to get out their feelings if there's like, oh, you don't want to hang out with me or you don't want to this. I don't. And I still love you, but I'm, I'm cool right now. You know, All I'm right. taking me time to recharge or I want to focus on this right now. And I think setting those boundaries is how I'm not overworked. Because I think if I tried to do everything and I said yes to everything that was thrown my way, I would be completely out of my mind. Overworked. Gotcha. Drowning. <laughs> so I do want to know this for the wrap up. If you, you know, hearing earlier say like Hollywood isn't, the, you know, the end game. It's not the goal. So yeah. you, you know, already um, 14 projects under your belt in four years. Like that's literally like what, three, almost that's more than like three projects a year. Yeah. Um, but even in terms of just looking like, where do you see Zayna Thyra's productions? Like, how do you see it evolving? Yeah. Um, you know, how do you want to continue to be that voice for, you know, blackness and celebrating it and telling our stories? Yeah. Um, I, in my five-year plan, um, is definitely getting uh, my drone license. I do want to learn how to fly a drone. Um, and I want to get into more of the technical aspects of things. You know, I'm a producer mm. and a director, but I, I really love the idea of being a one-woman show and being able to use my craft in different ways and having these skill sets. So I'm, I'm looking to refine, you know, my skill sets in that way, especially in the next five years. Um, also partnerships. I think that's really important. So I've, I've um, been connecting with festivals to teach classes at film festivals. I do workshops separately, but actually traveling to those spaces and being a part of the program is something that I'm going to start doing in 2020, which is, which is really exciting for me. So expanding the brand beyond just filmmaking, you know, and expanding my skill sets is something that in the definitely next five years that I want to do. Um, and then now that I've, I have this portfolio that I'm proud of, I could actually take the time to take more time on projects, longer projects whether that be a series. I've done two documentary features, but I'd like to do features that are a bit longer. Mm. You know, like it's um, kind of just stretching my skill sets a bit and being able to take the time because I don't really have a need for content anymore. I don't need uh, to, to build my portfolio for the sake of having something to show. I've got that. You know, I've got the awards. I've got the streaming sites. I've got the, the, the book. You work. have the con- yeah. I have the content. The proof. <laughs> right. So now it's really refining that and making giving myself the opportunity to grow as an artist and sharpening my skill sets and making more connections in the process. Perfect. I have thoroughly, thoroughly loved having you on. You. I might make like tea <laughs> or actual thing for the show. I'm starting to realize like why these yes. different shows. I'm like, you know, wait. Wendy, stay with it. You know, and I thought it was, I'm like, I'm not even going to mimic this, but I'm like, I see, it actually like, was nice. It is nice. It's a nice touch. No, it it's a nice, a nice touch. little vibe. I'm yes. like, I might have to think about this. And ooh, maybe some Joy has question cups. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come on, Brandon. Uh, but no, love, I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show as always like I completely 
love to see your journey, see how you're evolving. Thank you. You always are such a dope person to, you know, just your energy to be around. So I really hope to whoever, you know, whether they're interested in film or not, whatever medium they are, I really hope everyone who listens to this can see like, it is pure hard work, dedication, and again, staying in your lane. Yes. <laughs> that will get you. <laughs> it get you far. <laughs> your own validation. Oh, yeah. You know, and not looking for other people to do it for you. So thank you so much. That concludes the episode with the amazing Zaina Thyrus. And then if anyone wants to reach out further, I'll definitely have all that contact for you as well. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having me. Oh, Bye, you're welcome. Bye. <laughs> everybody it's your girl joy has questions and for this week's motivational message i just wanted to really focus on stop letting the imposter syndrome almost kill you i can't like when i tell you i have been under a fucking tack for the past couple of weeks it's actually been longer than a month like since may just consistent you know, question after question after question, a lot of things that have been happening, you know, in a different aspect of my life that has really been making me stand and be like, you know, am I a Dalmatian or am I just a spotted hyena? Like what is really going on here? And when it comes down to it, really standing in my firm truth and knowing I am a bomb ass, capable ass, smart ass, phenomenal black woman. You cannot shake me. You cannot question me and you cannot make me falter. And I think for all of us, that anxiety, that voice that we hear in the back of our head is worse than anybody who just will walk up to us and say, I don't fucking believe in your dreams. When we allow ourselves to be our own worst enemy, when we allow ourselves to be our own prisoner, when we allow ourselves to condemn us more than a hater on a fucking street would, we do the greatest disservice to our destiny. We stop all the progress that we've made, and now we start to backtrack. And that, at this point in the game, with all the blessings I've been receiving, with all the support I've been seeing, that is just not an option for my black ass anymore. So to the part of me that wants to sit here and discredit my journey, that wants to sit here and question if I'm really that good, that wants to sit here and you know wonder if what they're saying about me is true, am I incompetent, can I not understand this, Fuck that and fuck them. And fuck that part of me as well. And to anyone who is going through that, let me just say, look in that mirror and you have to kill that piece of yourself that doesn't believe, that piece of yourself that doesn't have faith, that piece of yourself that is blocking your own happiness. Nobody else can do. I don't care if you need to go run on the lake. I don't care if you need to go have a meditation session, smoke some weed, talk to a therapist, call your mama, go visit your grandma at her grave, whatever it is that you need to do to level set and center yourself, please do it. Because there is so much light to be shared within each and every one of us if we can just stop blocking our happiness and stop blocking the journey. So that is all I wanted to leave everyone with this week. I hope everyone has an amazing time at work, outside of work, following your dreams, doing something that puts a smile on your face. And I will holler at all you wonderful people next week. Bye.